On this episode of the After the Timeout Podcast, we are talking player development and shooting. And who better to talk shooting with than NBA shooting coach Dave Love. Coach Love has worked with multiple NBA teams and players and has traveled the world teaching the process of building a better jump shot. Let's jump right in and pick Coach Love's brain. And as always, thanks for listening to the After the Timeout Podcast. So let's start out with our opening tip, Coach. We wanted you to just kind of take us through your your story and and your your path to becoming a, a shooting coach and kind of what the journey was like and you know maybe how you started making those connections with those NBA teams at first. Really, the 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 connection and the the journey starts with one person, and uh, his name is Chip England, and he's the shooting coach in San Antonio. And uh, if you're outside NBA circles, there's a chance you haven't heard of Chip. And if you are inside NBA circles, you know, Chip is the best shooting coach in the world. And uh, like, he's just a private guy. And I, I was fortunate enough that I met him as a, uh, as a 13 year old kid when I was just a fan of the minor league team that he played for in, in my city. And then uh, uh, that evolved into, I was a ball boy for the, uh, the team that he played for. And, and we just had, we had five years of just being around each other uh, consistently and he's just the kind of guy that loves people and I loved him uh, there was Larry Bird and there was Chip England those were my two idols and I got to know the the second one and uh, and so he started inviting me to practice after um, uh, or and we'd have shooting uh, contests after practice and that would turn into him teaching me about shooting now my dad was a, a high school coach and, and taught me beef uh, and then chip peel starts to peel back the layers and I go, wow, there's a lot more to shooting than just beef. And, um, and I idolized the guy. And, uh, and so I was happy to learn anything. And, and he just, he was fantastic. This is friendship has gone on now 35 years. And he was fantastic about just sort of keeping me on track with what's the next step. And uh, it, that started off as a player. And then my playing career ended and, and he started to encourage me to start to use this information that he'd given me over the years. And, and that was like, start a, uh, a one week summer camp for kids. And I think the first idea was even like, just do something like all sports. And, uh, and then it just became more and more focused. And I think he was sort of mining in our conversations for what do you love to do? And I really loved the shooting aspect of it. And he was building his career as a shooting coach at that time. He had gone from a minor league player to helping out his friend, Steve Kerr, when Steve still played for the Bulls, and then turning that into working privately with Grant Hill, and then turning that into the Denver Nuggets and, and then into the San Antonio Spurs. And, uh, and my goal as, as I grew was just to kind of be the, the Calgary Canada version of Chip England until one day he, provided the first NBA opportunity. And, uh, and from there, it's just been the connections that you make along the, uh, along the journey that open up uh, the next opportunities. That is, that is a very cool story, coach. We, uh, I like your two idols there between uh, Larry and Chip. I think that's some, some well-known names there. Um, so we want to start with you just from the ground up. So 
you know, let's say, you know, you're working, even a coach is working with a high school kid. Obviously you talked about beef. One of my assistants teaches beef. That's funny. You said beef, but you know, when you are teaching shooting and you're starting from the ground up, where do you begin? You know, what are you looking at? You know, whether it's body posture or placement or, or hand placement or, um, you know, what are, what are you, how are you beginning? The, the, the first thing I watch is the ball because the ball is really what matters. We, we, our body is in certain positions, making certain moves to get the ball to do a certain thing. And it really doesn't matter what positions and, and, uh, uh, body posture we're in, if we can get the ball to do the right thing. And we need enough lift on the ball to get, have the, uh, the ball have a chance to go through a fairly large target. And then we, I watched the spin of the ball to see, or is their hand pushing the ball, the middle of the ball towards the target? If it does, we get pure rotation. And if the hand isn't pushing the ball towards the middle of the ball towards the target, is pushing one side of the ball away from the target and then snapping the wrist back in the opposite direction, which we all do to a certain degree. Very few people have perfect backspin. Um, then we, that starts to give me clues as to what might be flawed in the body positions or the body movements. So I start with the ball. And, and unfortunately, the spin of the ball is an, actually an optical illusion. And, uh, and so if the seams are misaligned in the correct, in, in, in the right way, then it can make it look like you have perfect backspin when you don't. And if the spins aren't aligned, uh, then you, it looks like you have incorrect backspin when you do have good backspin. And so that's tough, but the more you watch, the better you get it at figuring out how the ball is actually spinning and then, and then using those clues to say, okay, I'm seeing it spin in this direction or the, the tilt of the axis in this way, uh, what is likely causing that, checking that body part. And then from there, I'm usually focusing on the connect, what I call the connections. Uh, how does the hand connect to the basketball? How do the feet connect to the floor? Those are the only two things that we're touching. And those are the biggest energy transfers in our body. The, the feet pushing into the floor, the hand pushing the basketball. And so if you're going to make a mistake and it's in one of those two areas, that's probably the biggest mistake that, uh, that the player can be making. You make something that's away from the basketball or the floor, probably not a lot of energy transfer that goes on there. So not to say it doesn't matter, but it might not be as big. And I think that's interesting because I think when you, you talk to most coaches, I think the first thing they would say is, you know, someone's feet or hand placement or, or the L or, you know, all those things. Um, so I think that's interesting that, that you start with the ball. And I think that's so true. I, I guess defensively, we tell people all the time, you know, we're not worried about the player going in the basket. We're worried about the ball going in the basket. So when we shoot, we might as well focus on the ball. My, my follow-up to that for you is, um, you know, what are you telling them with their eyes? What are you telling them to aim for? I pick the long target. And uh, so I, I encourage players find that ring where the netting attaches to the rim, those little coils and find the farthest one from, you know, no matter where you're standing. And, uh, and then, and if you're, if you happen to have like ones, a, you've got two a little bit off center, 
and nothing in the middle, well then just split the difference between those two coils. But look for, look for one of the coils and pick the farthest one from you because the only thing we know for sure, in the game of basketball, you're gonna get tired. And so we wanna have the luxury of getting tired, but having room to miss short. And I don't wanna give you a, a target at the front of the rim where you have no uh, wiggle room to miss short and, and expect you to um, execute that when you're tired as well. So long target, the farthest coil from the, uh, from the hoop. And then I'll just, the, I think the same things that a lot of coaches uh, teach, which would just be find that target as early as you possibly can. All right, so I wanted to talk about maybe some of the misconceptions that you feel are taught by coaches when it comes to shooting. And then on the player side, like say you're walking into the gym, right? You're just walking in to see some coach's team. What are maybe the most common flaws you're going to see in, in, in shooters? And I think you kind of maybe talked about it a little bit already, but those two aspects, the coach's aspect and then the player aspect. The, the, both of them, I think, are kind of the same idea. We don't have a great understanding of, of how to, to learn. We kind of have a good idea of what we need to learn, like what habits need to be improved. But I think we're, we're very early on as a, uh, uh, what do we call the group of, as a society of coaches and players. Um, I can't think of a better word for us, but uh, as a group of us, I think we're very early on in, in still figuring out how to coach a habit, how to improve. And so that's what I spent early uh, COVID quarantine doing was learning about the science of skill acquisition. And I learned that some of the things that I did intuitively as a coach to help a player build a habit were on the money. And a couple of them were way off base. And the biggest one that I see is just too much block practice of form shooting that doesn't transfer to a game. Now, I do entire workouts of form shooting. I am not saying form shooting doesn't matter. All I'm saying is if you're standing five feet from the rim with your hand tucked behind your back and you're doing that for X amount of time, and then your next level is to jump to game shots from game spots at game speed, that's a gigantic leap to ask a habit to have to transfer itself. And what we should be doing in our practice is building a bridge between those two things where we might start with a very isolated situation, a very form shooting situation. But then we go through a series of progressions to add complexity and add realism to the situation so that the we can teach the habit to transfer from one to the other to the other to the other to a game. And if we're not building that bridge, we're, we're expecting the player uh, who's probably not thinking to transfer the habit themselves or the habit that doesn't have a brain <laughs> to transfer the habit itself. And, uh, and so that's probably the biggest thing that I see is people doing mindless form shooting with no purpose behind it and and then jumping from uh, the stationary car to the Formula One car at top speed. 
Yeah, I, I really liked it. I really liked the example. I, I used to coach baseball. It's the same thing. I would have kids come in. Why do I have to hit off the tee? Well, if you can't hit off the tee, you can't hit short toss flips, right? You can't hit short toss flips. You can't hit batting practice. You can't hit batting practice. You can't hit, you know, and right. they always wanted, everybody wanted to skip the steps. So like, yeah, I want to be, I guess we use Mike Trout today, right? You know, um, and, and, and hit home runs. So I, I really like the bridging, bridging the gap. Yeah, they throw me the 95 mile an hour fastball coach and I'll learn how to hit it is, is like, like throw, uh, I'm going to learn to shoot threes by shooting logo threes, which right. is, and this is where the analogy I think really starts to make sense for players, which is exactly the same as I'm going to learn how to bench press 250 pounds by putting 250 pounds on the bar and figuring it out. Yeah. Well, if you can only bench press 125 pounds and we put 250 on the bar, what's going to happen? You're going right. to be in the hospital. Right. Now, the shooting version of, of this, it, you don't end up in the hospital, but your shot does. And, uh, and then we have to figure out how to make your shot healthy again, because you develop so many habits, just focus on energy creation in any direction, because we need it all, uh, that you didn't focus on any energy correct uh, creation in the correct direction that actually helps us make shots. And so it's not as simple as just form shooting all the time. We want to add complexity to the form shooting. You can't just bench press 125 pounds the entire time and expect that's going to create 250. But uh, you have to actually add weight to the bar. And we need to uh, very quickly on in the process add complexity to the form shooting as well. You know, so would you say, oh, go ahead. Sorry, John. No, you're okay. I, I was going to just add, you know, building off Todd in your conversation, do you feel like this evolution of the three-point shot and so many threes, do you feel like it's developing these bad habits per se, just because of the evolution of now, instead of, you know, in the eighties, everybody wanted to to dunk like Mike and, and Dominique, and now everybody wants to shoot the three like Steph. Do you feel like that's developing some bad habits? Not really. I, I think that's the nature of youth is like, I remember you say in the eighties, everybody wanted to dunk like Michael, except for me, except for like, and then the second we all got into gym, we all realized we can't dunk. So there's this line around the three point. Let's see how far we can throw the ball. And I remember coaches telling me constantly, like, move in, move in, move in, move in. And I think that's, a, that, that's, that's the nature of youth. And that's the nature of, uh, I think that's probably always been there and probably always will. And if anything, I think this uh, emphasis on th uh, uh, three-point shots now is a good thing for shooting. It's inspired people that they want oh, this, this. This is a way anybody can become great. Like we can't all be six foot nine with a 42 inch vertical leap, but can we all spend enough time in the gym where we become knockdown shooters? I think so. Um, so you, you net all of us average uh, six foot guys now have a chance. <laughs> all right. So let's, let's talk about the, the process of, of making corrections, right? Um, how long do you feel it takes for that correction to, to take place where it becomes habit, where it becomes muscle memory, right? And then what do you, uh, if someone's reluctant to change in the beginning, how are you 
helping them kind of see that path towards you know where they're going remind me of the reluctancy question because this is this is a big one and this is an, an important one and i'm going to forget uh because you gave me the two questions there yeah so i will the uh the first one what does the process look like and we'll we'll come back to the reluctancy thing in a in a second um the for me the process what i try and keep in mind is three things i want to identify what we're working on and i want to be very clear about what it is and hold players very accountable to doing it if we want to get better we actually have to change habits we can't just identify the thing that that we say we're working on and then allow players to continue to shoot the same shot with the same habits and expect improvement that's not going to work and it's really hard for players to feel that i have players all the time who i identify something and uh and we start to work on it and then they say just give, give me a, let me see if i can transfer it into it into a game set and they do something way too hard for themselves and they said how, how that looked that felt better that was that was good right and i have to go nope that was your old shot it felt different for you but it was not different and uh and that that that's hard so first thing we got to do we got to identify the next thing we have to do is we have to isolate we have to simplify the situation enough that the player is actually able to do that new thing so i have to create an environment where they are actually able to get their feet wider or get their guide hand off the ball or, or lift their elbow or whatever habit it is that we've identified and and actually put them in a situation where they can do the thing that we say that we're working on Okay. And when I say isolate the habit, that can mean what we picture when we say form shooting, like eight feet from the basket, hand behind the back, stationary, that, that it can mean that, but it doesn't have to. It means simplify the situation enough that the, the motor pattern has a chance to change. And that could just be done with slower movement and a guided defender uh, off, off the dribble rather than going all the way back to form shooting. So um, then the last thing, once you've started to isolate it, the player is, uh, is starting to change the movement pattern, then we have to start to layer drills. And this is something that I start to do almost immediately, like this, the second that a player shoots three better shots, not even perfect, just better shots at whatever habit that we're working on, I start to play with seven different layers. And the layers are distance, speed, movement, catches, dribbles, defenders, and decisions. And I picture in my brain how this makes sense to me. I picture a, mu a music producer's board where they've got all these faders. And each one of those seven things is, uh, is a fader. And my job is to increase the difficulty of the environment as the player improves the habit, but keeping it simple where I need to so that they can actually execute the habit correctly. And so I can start to add defenders to form shooting. I can start to add movement to form shooting. I can start to add uh, distance and speed to form shooting to slowly make this more difficult. And it, it starts with just, okay, five shots of that, okay, that's looking better. Take a step back, okay? Just hop to your left 
and then do this form shooting drill. Like it, it starts that simple, but instead of doing the same thing over and over and over again, you're adding a little bit of variability to it. Hopefully more variability as time goes by uh, and uh, more complexity as they get better at the skill. So isolate or identify, isolate, and then layer. Then, okay, what was the second question again? Uh, before we go, I love. Could you just give us those those seven variable variables again? I thought those was really those really cool. Just so maybe if our listeners didn't get it the first time. No, no, I can't. I, I only say things once. I'm okay. joking. Uh, they are uh, distance, speed, movement, uh, uh, dribbles and catches, and then defenders and decisions. So you can take away or add any one of those seven things to make a drill more difficult or simpler, and you're, you're searching for, I forget what the skill acquisition people call this window, the sweet spot. I call it the appropriate level of challenge. And it's just like, if you're practicing, practicing something that's too easy, a player can do it 90% of the time, um, then that's not realistic enough. It's not challenging enough. You need to make that drill harder. If you're practicing something and a player is never doing it correctly or never making shots, you're practicing something too hard, you're outside the window on the other side, you wanna be in that challenge window where the player can get it right often, but not always. They know when they're making the mistake. They get good, but not incredible results. And, uh, uh, and that's, where, that's where our window is. The, right, more time so this, this, the, the second part was, the reluctant when somebody's reluctant to start making those changes right you're working with someone and they're just just not they're not feeling it they're not they're not seeing it they kind of stuck in their ways how how are you working with that player well the the first thing i have to figure out is i have to figure out why are they reluctant and there's there's um there's a few different possible reasons why and each one I will attack uh, differently. Like I'll, I shouldn't say attack, that sounds very aggressive. I'll approach uh, differently. Um, and, and so possible solutions are, or possible reasons why they're reluctant. They already think they're a good shooter. And, uh, and maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Um, maybe, maybe like as, as coaches, we tend to say like, uh, what's the old analogy? Uh, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And, uh, and sometimes we fall into that as coaches We're flawed too. And we, we want to fix everybody. And sometimes they don't need fixing. Sometimes they look different, but they get great results. People probably wanted to fix Reggie Miller's jump shot. And that would have been a mistake. He, he got results with it, even though it might not have looked right. Um, the, the player might be misguided. They think they're good and they're not. Now, the, the, the way that we handle that situation is to gently and, uh, and honestly enlighten the player that you're not the knockdown shooter that you think you are and you need to improve. So the way that you handle that would be very different uh, from somebody who um, they, uh, trying to pick one of the, the other reasons somebody might be, um, uh, might be hesitant. Um, they feel like, or they don't trust you. They've got other people giving advice and they don't think you're the person that's going to be able to help them. Well, then I need to educate them about me. And, and it has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with me. 
and uh, and I have to teach them about that. So the, the really, you got to find out which battle you're fighting. Why are they hesitant? Maybe they're hesitant because basketball is fun to them, and they are only seeing the the end of the road is next year. And the only reason that they're playing is because their friends play, and they the idea of spending time in an empty gym by themselves working on their shot, which they're never going to use after next year, probably sounds like torture. And, uh, and so, okay, that's the battle that we're fighting. And uh, so find out what that battle is and then figure out how to attack if it's, if it's appropriate to attack from there. Well, and I would also assume, at least when you're working with college guys, pro guys, that the advancement in all the analytics and the and the numbers probably helps that cause a little bit too saying hey this is where this is the numbers this is the facts this is your shot chart things like that yeah they, there's two things that don't lie statistics and video and so you you show a player hey here here's your good shooter that's what you believe here's last season stats and on X number of attempts, you shot at 62% from the free throw line and 24% from three. Is that what a good shooter looks like? Okay, now you're telling me you're a good shooter. I don't care about empty gym. I care about in-game. And can you execute in-game? And unfortunately, last season, you showed you can't. And I would obviously, I wouldn't necessarily be this, this craft, but I'd be this honest. And it might be a little more gentle, but I'd be this honest about it. Um, and uh, and then, you know, showing them the video and, and, and explaining the physics of shooting like your hand is over on the side of the basketball and you're pushing with your guide hand to compensate. Can you see that? Yeah. Two variables, each pushing the ball away from the hoop. Is that the best way to uh, to get the ball to go towards the hoop when you have to do it really, really quickly in hard situations like People are smart. They'll, if you can show them the facts, they can figure it out for themselves. And now you're on their side a little bit more. So we kind of wanted to to shift the episode a little bit into just different aspects of shooting. So we kind of wanted to talk about what are some things that you see defensively that are done to disrupt a really good shooter? And what are some things you see that really good shooters do to kind of counter those things defensively I'm, I'm horrible at the like I think it's a skill to be able to say what you're not good at and I'm horrible at the defensive aspect of it so I'm actually going to pass on that part of the question just because um, I'd be making up answers <laughs> and that doesn't serve anybody well and and like I say I'm, I'm actually proud of being able to 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 say I'm going to pass on this one yeah, uh, because I think we 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 I, we should all be willing to admit that's not my area of expertise. Uh, where shooters go to um, to recreate the advantage that the defense has taken away. Right now, we're we're big into creating space, and uh, everybody's keyed on that three point line. We all want to shoot threes, and and the defense knows it, and so the defense is focused on taking away three point shots almost we'll almost give up a two so that we don't want to don't give up a three um and the, the counter now is to uh to fake one to three create space and then uh shoot the next and and that's all about just creating force 
but then being able to stop that force, like creating enough energy that you can create separation, but then being stable enough uh, when you land to control that force that you created. And, uh, and those are two very different skills. There are players who are amazing at creating separation and then shoot off balance shots. And there are players who are fantastic at always being balanced, but don't create a lot of force. And the elite are able to do both. Um, and uh, um, the, I'll speak mostly to the balance side of it. I think uh, that's where we, we go wrong. I think that has a lot to do with our body posture and our, our, uh, uh, the width of our feet and the way that we use our feet. But then we also need to learn to practice um, in that kind of environment. And you, you can't work on your balance unless your practice involves you being off balance. And so I do a ton of drills where I am, I'm literally pushing players and, uh, and, and forcing them to not only deal with the energy they create, they're, they think they're jumping to the side, I am with all the force that my spindly little 175 body pound body can create. I am pushing them in the same direction to get them even more off balance and just trying to get them to figure out the solution for when I land here, how do I land under control? And so I spend a lot of time on, on drills like that. So now kind of just breaking it down a little bit more, there's obviously been a push to get away from mid-range jump shots. There, there's still a few coaches that will do it and players that will do it, but obviously, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of push towards, you know, in the paint and three point shots. So kind of what is maybe your thoughts on the mid-range shot? And then do you do anything different mechanically in teaching a mid-range shot versus a three, or is it all kind of the same fluid mechanics? It, it all kind of, kind of ends up being the same, uh, or the principles are the same. There'll be subtle differences, and the, the subtle differences will change from player to, uh, to player and situation to situation uh, as well. So it's, it's really hard to give uh, all the variety that would occur in those because it's just enormous. It, it branches out not just in one direction, but in all directions. Um, but then there, there are players who do it really well, and it's for me, it's this movement, this move away from mid-range has created a, a, a unique challenge for me as a shooting coach and people like me, where if somebody was a weak shooter uh, that in the NBA is, was not trusted to make any, any shot, including free throws, then my first goal becomes, let's make free throws. Let's get that free throw percentage up to 70%. And that becomes a logical first goal. And that first goal still remains uh, for the, the kinds of players that I enjoy working with. Unfortunately, the second goal used to be, okay, now we're making 72% of our free throws. Can we make in game an open elbow jumper? And that would have been the next seed that I would plant, the next little carrot that I would dangle in front of a player. Can we make that? And unfortunately, teams don't want players shooting that shot. And so the, the players that I'm working with, I have to go from, okay, making free throws, you've earned trust by making free throws to now an open three. And that's a lot harder than an 18 foot jumper. And, uh, and so that's created a unique challenge for me, whereas, okay, the next carrot 
is significantly harder than the the carrot that I used to dangle in front of players before. So I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question, but uh, um, but that's what kind of jumps to mind when you when you asked it. All right. So an, another two parter here. I'll go. The, the first part's more of a. It's both mechanical question. Sure. Um, lefty lefties and righty shooters. Uh, is there any differences in teaching the mechanics? Uh, obviously, feet probably a little bit right. Uh, different things like that. But when when it comes down to lefties and righties, is there any any differences in teaching those mechanics that you found? I will emphatically say no. Dot dot dot. Yes. <laughs> so there shouldn't be. And, and I, I had, uh, when probably around 2013, 14, I sort of became obsessed with this a little bit. Like, why is it that lefties all kind of look different when they shoot? And I found I, I struggled a little bit more to work with lefties because there was there's this weird thing that seemed to come along with left-handed shooters and i couldn't figure out what it was and i was asking everybody outside of basketball like physiotherapists and doctors and uh and finally somebody came up with it with an answer that really made sense to why i felt like lefties were a little bit different and a little bit more not challenging uh, just a little different to work with and his answer was they've grown up in a right-handed world they've grown up constantly having to make uh, concessions and adjustments for little tiny things that we don't even think about because the world was built for right-handed people and they have to compensate in some way and he started to give examples like opening a fridge door i open a fridge door across my body with my right hand and a left-hander has to sort of try and make that, that motion because they're, I'm trying to describe it because I know we don't have video, but the, the first thing that I do as a right-hander mimicking a lefty is I sort of tuck my shoulder in to try and pull. I would write in my notebook in school and my shoulder would maintain a neutral position and a left-hander has to curl their hand around the paper so they don't smudge the ink and what do you do the shoulder turns inward and all these times a can opener i just again everything remains neutral and i just turn they have to reach around and what changes your shoulder and so their shoulder muscle i'm told or this person explained develops slightly differently and everything ends up sort of being this this motion where your shoulder tucks upward inward and if you watch most left-handed shooters, that's what they do when they shoot. And so the first thing that I try and do with lefties is, is open up those shoulders a little bit more and create that neutrality again. Um, and then remember, I'm trying to fight against 20 years of quote unquote muscle memory, which isn't really a thing, but it's a good name for us. Um, and and so i have to be patient with these habits no matter how good a coach i am and how good the drills that we're doing are i'm not going to quickly win the battle against 20 years of opening fridge doors and writing in notebooks and so i've got to be patient so so no they shouldn't be built differently but then there is 
a difference. And uh, um, and so once I wrapped my brain around that a little bit more, it became easier to work with lefties. That's a, that's a tremendous answer. Like I never even really thought about that before, but I'm glad because it was driving me nuts for like yeah. literally a year and a half. Anybody that I met who said like, I'm a physiotherapist, I would just become obsessive about, let me ask yeah. you this, <laughs> like yeah. 10 minutes of your time. Can let's talk about left-handed people. And, uh, and finally I got that one answer from a, I believe it was a physiotherapist just outside of Cleveland. All right. Second part of the question, then same thing on the mechanics, um, teaching male and female shooters, a any difference there in, in, mecha in mechanics that way or anything like that? I can emphatically say no, dot, 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 dot. Yes. <laughs> so do like, I like, uh, should there be no, like, I don't worry about if they, people say, you know, women have a little bit wider hips. Okay. I don't worry about that stuff. But what I try and keep in mind in, in the, when I was working in Orlando, uh, I had a great reminder of this because I was working with Aaron Gordon, who's six foot nine, 220 pounds of just muscle, like takes off his shirt. You can do his human anatomy chart. You can see the definition in every muscle. The dude is strong. He long levers. He's capable of shooting from distance easily. There is enough physical strength there. And then I would go home back to Calgary, Canada, because I, I've always worked as a consultant where I'm in town with the, the team and then home for a certain amount of time. And then in town, and then I'd go back and forth. When I was home, I was working with the University of Calgary women's basketball team and a lady named Anmal Matu. And Anmal is five foot two. And I'm guessing in the neighborhood of about 120 pounds. So if we look at their skeleton, they're probably very, very similar proportionately. If we look at the, those two people standing side by side, Aaron props his, his elbow up on the top of Anmal's head. <laughs> like the amount of force Anmal can create is a fraction of what Anmal is. And so I do have to kind of keep that in mind for Anmal. I probably needed to allow um, negative energy when she was shooting uh, three-point shots above the break. That 23-foot shot for five foot 220 pounds is a lot longer shot than six foot nine and 220 pounds of muscle. And, uh, and so you, you, kind of, you might need to, I don't change what I teach necessarily, but I sort of relax my um, expectations on how much negative energy will I allow a player to create uh, and, and how uh, disciplined will I expect them to be in creating it. So we, we did want to hit on this with you. We, we talk to guests all over the world um, and we talk about basketball worldwide. And, um, you know, you obviously you host clinics, not just in the United States, Canada, but, you know, Europe, Australia, kind of all over. Um, yeah. Just so for you, what are some things you've noticed about the game of basketball worldwide? And, you know, do you feel basketball worldwide is, you know, maybe possibly at this point, obviously with soccer, but probably the most well-known sport? Uh, second part. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's caught up. Yeah. I, everywhere I go, they talk about basketball's booming. And I'll speak to Canada right now. It's the largest participant, uh, ooh, might be second actually to soccer, um, but it's very close and has surpassed hockey in Canada. I'll mm. say that again, 
basketball has surpassed hockey in Canada for the biggest participation sport. And, uh, and, and I'm hearing that from people all around the world. In Australia, it's like, it's approaching footy, they're like their passion and, and football and in Europe, everywhere basketball has emerged in like uh, every, almost every area I go to, I probably won't need to meet more than three people before somebody says to me, coach, we're so glad you're here. Our kids, our players, we just don't shoot the ball well. Like everybody, other people shoot the ball and every, every area says that. And so um, this is a skill that people are focused on around the world and feel like they don't do well. And when I go into every gym, like I can, I can close my eyes and say, are we in Melbourne, Australia, or are we in Grand Prairie, Alberta, Canada? Um, and look at the kids in the gym and say, I have no idea. The habits are all exactly like, oh yeah, I've seen that kid before. This, this kid has blonde hair and this kid has his black hair, but the ha I've, they have the exact same shots and they live on opposite sides of the world. The habits are, are uh, the solutions that young players find in trying to solve the, the problem of shooting a ball from distance. Uh, they, those are universal and, uh, and it's really fun to watch. All right, so we wanted to finish obviously with our last two segments. And our first one we call 30 Second Timeout. And it's kind of your platform to discuss whatever you want to discuss. It could be about yourself, your camps, uh, you know, uh, your family, you know, any, anything you want to talk about, kind of the floor is yours uh, for the next 30, roughly 30 seconds. Okay, uh, find me at Coach Dave Love on Instagram and Twitter and then CoachDaveLove.com uh, for my email newsletter, which is free. Uh, and then I guess I'm going to use the rest of my time to say, like, whatever you do, chase what you love and figure out how to do more of what you love. To become truly great at something, you need to love it enough that the work that is necessary feels fun and you want to do the work. And, uh, and then just continually be asking yourself, is what part of this do I enjoy the most? And then how can I do more of that and less of the things I don't like? I pay for somebody to do my taxes because as an entrepreneur, I don't like doing my taxes. So give that to somebody else so that I get to spend more time in the, uh, in the gym and just constantly chase doing what you love. Love it. That's probably more like 44 seconds, but that's okay. Love it. <laughs> All right. We're getting to our quick hitters here. Uh, just kind of rapid fire questions. These are fun. Most of, most of the time we're not even basketball related. There's a few here and there. Um, yeah. First one, food from Canada that you wish was served in the U.S.? There, there isn't one. Like we're so similar in the food okay. that we eat. Um, I can't, I, you, you tipped me off to this question coming and I'm thinking like, what is there? I got, I got nothing, uh, for this one that, uh, yeah, I have nothing. Is there, okay. Then let's tweak a little bit. Is there, uh, maybe a chain that you wish when you, you could get when you came to the U S that is better maybe than something we have here in the United States. I'm going the opposite direction, a chain in the U S that we don't have a Chipotle anywhere in my city. And we're like, <laughs> no. I Google oh, no. every six months. I'm Googling Calgary Chipotle 
See, like, is something coming? So that's that's the change I right. want to make. Get a Chipotle like, like five blocks from my house. That's All right, awesome. so we, know, we know you don't want to, you know, you don't want to talk too much about the defensive aspect, but just do you got a favorite defender in the game that you enjoy watching? Uh, right now, uh, no, but I I always enjoyed the brain of Shane Battier. And, uh, and so, like, he's not a, a guy that necessarily physically should have been a great defender. Like, he... He's in some ways he fits the prototype of what we describe as great defender, but in some ways I, I think he's outside that box, but then the brain was like on overdrive and, uh, and that those people always appeal to me and in whatever realm they're in the people that the, are the thinkers and analyzers I love. All right. Salty snack or sweet snack. And then which one? <sighs> I hate this um dang it or you can pick both i mean we're, oh, we're not, I'm, we're not be I'm absolutely picking both right now i go in waves uh i'd like i'm embarrassed to admit that i'm 47 years old and i still love candy um but for sweet i need sour candies like the the, the sour i love pretty much anything that that is sour for my sweets which is ironic, weird to say that my, my sweets need to be sour. Uh, but then uh, for uh, salty right now, what are my go-to? Oh, and uh, in Canada, uh, we have ketchup potato chips that are like, they're the best flavor of potato chips. Huh. Ever. And potato chips. Okay. Uh, so when you come to Canada, buy like you're going to go, ah, ketchup, this is a little weird, but potato chips are kind of French fries. Don't we put ketchup on french fries sure. and everybody that i've given them to they're like oh wow these are good and now we've gone to the next level where we've got spicy ketchup and those and then spicy dill pickle and those are on high rotation right now in the love household we don't want our kids to get a hold of those john our kids at school the spicy ketchup and anything 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 spicy our kids at school that we teach oh my gosh yeah. Or it, does it make them go crazy, or they'll just eat way too much of it? What do you? Just do? What do you eat it constantly? Just yeah. It's yeah. A, bags upon bags of it. It's there, there's one brand uh, that just it put out a limited edition ketchup. Doritos put out a limited edition summer uh, ketchup chip, and my wife and I love it. And they said, "Oh, end of summer, they're going away. We're stockpiling. Like we've got seven bags in the uh, in the pantry that are going to just be a, like our winter." hibernation uh treats so we're we, we're very focused we're, we know what we're doing we have a plan all right so we got dogs or cats this one's a piece of cake dogs all day uh, i grew up with dogs i grew up with labrador retrievers the, my whole life and they're just a wonderful dog um we my wife and i our first dog was a shiba inu who we loved but it was a little cat like and now we have a little Morky who's just a bundle of love and, uh, and affection. And she's awesome. Dogs all day. All right. If you weren't coaching basketball, you would coach what? Ooh, man. Uh, so I get to coach another sport, but I can't be yep. basketball. Yeah. Golf. Uh, uh, Popular one. Yeah. Golf. Golf would be the historic answer. And in the, the last five or so years i'm tilting the scale towards tennis a little bit more but uh 
Uh, I know golf better than I know tennis right now. And so I'd be a better golf instructor than I would tennis right now. So I'm picking golf. I feel like we do get golf. That's a, that's a common oh, one. That's a popular one. Yeah. 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 All right. So we'll probably talk to a lot of old men. <laughs> oh, that's true <laughs> too. Um, all right. So last one, favorite arena that you've ever been in. Okay. I, I am proud to say I try to allow, I encourage myself to still have fanboy moments. And I feel like when I lose that joy of, I can't believe I'm here. And it might be really like most people probably don't know that I'm having this, these moments when I have them, but when I stop having them, it's going to be time to kind of move away because I think that's the point of living is to, to do amazing things. And when you're doing them, you better well appreciate them. So Madison square garden was, was amazing. Just like the, uh, Madison square garden and Staples center, they light their court differently. Like it's, yep. the court is lit and the stands are more dark. And that was kind of cool. And then the, the game that I was there at Madison square garden for, we looked across the, uh, the court and I mean, these are certainly not a list people, but it was kind of cool to go, Oh, there's, uh, uh, Kate Upton, who it was Kate Upton, the, what's the name of the guy that used to be the Apple guy? Um, he was in all the Apple, he played the Mac and then they'd have the nerdy guy who was the PC. Oh, yes, yes. Sort of an actor for a little bit, but yes. it was Kate Upton, that guy and uh, Taylor Swift. And I'm like, ah, oh. and I joke with my daughters all the time, like Taylor Swift seen me work, like Taylor Swift has come to, to see me do my job. She didn't care about it. <laughs> right there, but that's the ongoing joke. Um, and then the other one that jumps to mind is Utah. Utah, the stands, like there's in most arenas built for hockey as well, the stands come down and then there's some space uh, and then the court begins. Mm-hmm. And you feel that it might only be eight feet, but you feel the space. In Utah, the stands come down to the edge of the court and you feel like the fans are on top of you and it's kind of cool. So those are my, those are two splash three. I like. Well, coach, this was a really fun episode. I think our listeners are going to get a ton of information about shooting um, and we really do appreciate your time and, and taking some time to sit down with us today. I I had a lot of fun. Thank you guys for inviting me on. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Flicky. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts by searching After the Timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more coaching content in-game, out-of-the-game, and anything in between.